Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 822. Katie, um, I noticed that you're holding up a giant cork board. I, I got a real cork board very and strong. a lot of text. Yeah. And uh, my fingers really hurt. You yeah. Know. Well, I appreciate but, your You know, yep. Okay. What so uh, the f- I got, for this one, I got Max Rubenstein writes, I'm a 16-year-old high schooler in Atlanta, Georgia. About 10 months ago, I started a nonprofit called Game Givers. Game Giver's mission is to make children's experiences undergoing treatment in hospitals around the globe easier by providing new and used video games to children's hospitals. It's done by game drives, gaming tournaments, and a small entry fee that gets put towards buying games that kids are missing out on during their stay. Uh, during the short existence, they have received over $53,000 in, mo- in monetary and game donations, over 1,000 games to local hospitals, and they have plans of extending uh, their reach nationwide in the upcoming months. So if you want to check them out or donate to them or you have games, they, uh, this kid is great. Like, he's only 16 and he did this. It's amazing. But you can go to GameGivers.org. Nice job. Yeah, isn't that cool? Way to go like out and make that. the community better. Not all teenagers are snotty. <laughs> Some of them are helping the community. Be like that boy. Be mm-hmm. like the boy. Uh, this episode is Billy West, who is, this is the third time Billy West Third time, yeah. On. Futurama so much. <laughs> I just love Futurama. Every so time much. he does the voice, your like face just lights up, and it's you're the like, best. <gasps> "Yeah, it's the best." Yeah, it's just he's he's professor. He's the professor. He will always be that. Yeah. I mean, he does a million other things. Yeah. I mean, you know, Stimpy. Yeah. And then for a while, he's Ren been like and everything, Stimpy. like any show that you like, he probably did a voice on. I know, I know. Yeah, but it's just he's he's so many things that have inspired me. He is a part of. Yeah. Uh, so I love having him on and, uh, he's a, he's a solidly great dude. Uh, and I thank him and I tell you that you should watch, listen to the Billy West podcast, which yes. is available on iTunes. And we'll have a sizzle reel at the end of this episode. That's right. We're going to put a little sizzle From- reel and that's a uh, Billy West podcast, uh, com. Here's nurse podcast number 822 with Mr. Billy West. Now entering nerdist.com. You're in the new podcast room now. This is the new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I think, I think you saw both of the other ones. You were here one other time, too, but then you were back in the E-Studios, too, when we were there. I was on Wilshire. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And, and I don't think I've ever been on the lot here to see you here. You haven't? I feel like you were on a couple, like maybe a year or two ago, two years ago, two years ago maybe. That's how it starts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way now. <laughs> I got my key in the door. Am I leaving or am I coming home? Is this, oh, this is in my house. Oh, fuck. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Left the coffee pot on. I'm going back to being OCD. What did I take medicine for that for? I need my memory. <laughs> it's just the the careful balance of having to balance all the different weirdness. A weirdness. Just to get one special thing to. Well, work. I moved and it knocked my head out of orbit. Um, you know, I had to just get everything and move. I planned it, of course, but it's like it took the piss out of me. Where did you did you where did you had you lived the place for a long time and then it was a big a big hall? Um, I lived in Studio City for twenty years. Oh wow! And it's murder. You've got every road there is a delivery system for people from east, north, west, and south, yep. all crowding into this one little area. Yep. It wasn't meant to hold that many cars. <laughs> and then Universal closes the Barham exit with this. Manifesto, you know, it will be good for you. <laughs> it will be better. Someday. It well, they're putting be... on all the, I guess, are they putting in Subway stuff? or are they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Well, they had a deal, I think. This is just me speculating. But they had a deal with Caltrans. Um, you build us a tube that delivers customers to our front door. Oh, gotcha. And we'll pay for it. Gotcha. I swear that's got to be. I'm what sure it was. that has to be it. Yeah, yeah. I still am not 100 percent sold on the idea of let's have a subway in Los Angeles. I just don't know. How about this? Universal is crowded enough, and now they put in ha- Harry Potter. That's another mil- a half a million cars a day, <laughs> right to this little area that's the size of a baby crib. Yeah. Now, and then the Hollywood Bowl. Yep. And I and I said I got to get out of here. Yeah. I have to get out of here. The crime is starting to sprout up in the hill. I lived on a nice little hill. It's like a, it's like, it's like the, it's like a funnel web spider trap. The valley, it yes. just like sucks in all the traffic and all the through there. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's either trying to get out of there or come in. <laughs> There's no easy way. There's no easy no. Way. It's like a dysfunctional prick, you know. It's like the blood is rushing in, but it's going out just as fast. <laughs> You know, I thought you were talking about a person because it's so rare to hear the word prick used and to, to refer to an actual penis. Prick. So oh, I, I feel like it's I feel like we gotta bring that back. Well, there's something wrong with guys that they call each other um their favorite part of a woman's body sometimes. Right. So we should just go back to prick. Yeah. Hey you prick, touch yeah. my prick. I'll punch you right in the dick. I'll punch you in the prick, you prick. Punch you right in the cock. What's what's wrong with the touching pricks? We should touch pricks a couple of times. Kyle, what are you writing down right now? Are you writing let's touch pricks a couple times? Use of the word prick. <laughs> oh, what do you got, a swear jar, Mr. Man? What do you got, a swear jar here? Did you get rid of a bunch of stuff when you moved? You must have so much everything from all your shows you work on. Um, not as much as you would think. I'm actually very surprised. But But now they're starting to mean something. Because it's so far after the fact. Like Ren and Stimpy, I see you got a couple of great cells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, these are layout drawings that I've, I've had these for ages and ages and ages. Boy, they're good. Yeah, they're good. They're good drawings. Look at that. And then all of a sudden, these 20-something producers took over the cartoon business, and I have to watch refrigerator art in motion. 
you know, let's all create a substandard. Hey, you guys hear this? Every one of you create a substandard so none of us can fail. Well, it's a counter. It's a counterculture movement. There was a, there was a counterculture animation movement, and 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 when when John Kay, well, when actually Ralph Bakshi and then John really kind of brought the artists back into animation. Before True. that, it was just cheap television animation that they were trying to but produce. Not as cheesy as now. But now I feel like it's a it's more of like a punk movement of like, this is a lot of it's bad on purpose. It's, no, you know what? That's a romantic notion. You think so? Yes, because these guys, the most important thing in their lives that they worry about day and night is fail. Right. So if you create a substandard, nobody fails. I guess that's true. You know what I mean? It's like... Um, it's like pass-fail system. It's mm-hmm. like the guy who does 7% is suddenly equal to the guy who's 98%. Right. Right. It's and like, I don't like it. <laughs> when, I hate it. When you watch a sketch show and then the sketch, the sketches just get crazy at the end because it's, like it's really hard to write endings for sketches. So yeah. let's just... Uh, well, do it like the Stooges. You know, you just run out of ending and, <laughs> and slap them on horses riding off into the horizon line. God, yeah. I, one of the crazy... Now, I, I do believe in, like, let's just let moments in life happen. You don't have to record everything. But after we did that Futurama send-off show that was at the so YouTube good. Space, it You're was just so, so much fun. good. Oh, no, I got to tell it. you. Shut up. I'm, okay, I'm telling funny. you what I really feel. I that's that's a rarity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no wonder I'm so witty because I tell everybody what I think about them and they laugh. Well, I, I appreciate it. It was a very special moment. And at the end, you and Maurice LaMarche launched into this riff of it, it it was the brain it was the brain and stimpy interacting in some way and i couldn't record it fast and then i couldn't get it in time and then the moment was over i'm like oh. the world needs to see what when we were into the shrimp tree and the cheese backstage uh, yeah 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 you guys okay. were standing around oh and we just, were he just yeah. started doing i'll be your new huckleberry <laughs> stimpy <laughs> And then he was – it was basically the Stimpy in the Brain. It was Stimpy in the Brain. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's the stuff that keeps us going. You don't – oh, hi. You don't want it to end. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like just because the cartoon has ended or the session ended, sometimes you get together and just start riffing in ridiculous – well, I guess they're not so ridiculous anymore because most people think that incongruous pairings are funny. Yeah. I always did. You know, fish out of water stuff, or where something should not belong, and it you make it belong. Yeah, I I on that note, I really just keep hoping that someone like like Netflix goes, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do Futurama again. I feel like Futurama has to be the unkillable show that keeps coming back no matter what. Yeah, I was just reading a text. What was it? I'm sorry, I was doodling. Somebody, it's it's got a threat tone to it. Uh oh. Yeah. Wait. We now bring you to the text. Hey, do you have any glasses? Listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) One happy face at a time. Lens crafters. Basically, uh, you want to see if this is a threatening text. Please confirm. Reply Y to confirm that you just checked in with five stars at the Flame Broiler. Who the fuck? Los Angeles. Okay, so you're getting spam. You're getting a text spam. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's some kind of spam What text. if I'm in real trouble, though, see? Because I forget. <laughs> don't don't click reply. I'm going back to OCD. They're phishing you. They're phishing you. They want to know that you're a person that has a phone, and you're going to reply, and then they're going to write back to you all the fucking time and sell your number to a bunch of people. So I would just don't reply. Block the number. Yeah. Just go in and block the number. and uh, hopefully- Keep dreaming, folks. <laughs> 
Leave send me him, alone, you know? So all you want to do is be left alone. Send him a picture now, of your dong. Oh, hi. Hey, what's up, Scout? <laughs> hey, Scout. <laughs> hey, Katie. Welcome <laughs> 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 to the show. That actually has Scout's attention, which is a very hard thing to do. I thought he would go nuts because most dogs go nuts because I speak dog. Well, most of the time... I feel like Katie feeds this dog NyQuil butter before coming in because the dog just plops over in that corner on the cushion and doesn't move the entire time. Hi, pal. Is that a possibility? Is more fu- Has anyone said anything about Futurama? Is it ever a possibility to come back? I mean, I um, anything's possible. I hear but... things. What do you hear? Well, I don't, it's, it's really funny. Is um, Matt, you know, I can't, I'm sitting here thinking he can't be just doing nothing. Right. He didn't go fishing. Right. You know, gone fishing. Right. Um, I mean, these guys that I worked with had the most fertile imaginations, and they knew how to make something that was hysterically funny funnier after we did a table read. You know, Matt and the boys would go over to the donut office, you know, Simpson's office, and uh, uh, I'd say, where are you guys heading? You want to have lunch? And he says, no, we're going to go make this funnier. (laughs) And I used to love that. I loved it that people seemed to live to make it a living thing. Yeah. Living and breathing practically. That's how I always uh, treated characters. I wanted to root them in something that everybody could grab a hold of something, you know, rather than being two-dimensional. Yeah. I brought as much as I could to that. Well, that, that show in particular, because I feel like you're, most of the show is you acting against yourself. Yes. <laughs> Which I do in real life, too. What's what's wrong with me? When you're reading, when you how do you do the voiceover? That do you just read like all Fry, then all Zoidberg, then all Far, or do you do you do that each line? Do you actually do the scenes? I whole? go through the script in order. You know, it's just like sometimes I can riff back and forth. Sometimes I got to take a minute because I'll stumble on a word or something. And now it's like one time I got fooled because um, I saw there was a typo. In my lines, and, and uh, I might have told you this before, um, the character, the other character goes, hey, Fry, I heard beer makes you stupid. He goes, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be whatever I want to do. <laughs> they invented their own language. Do you know what I mean? Not only did they invent their own language, but I was trying to track that that secret code, the the, the symbols, the, the, the glyphs that appear... Apparently, and they change. Like people will kind of figure out what they say, mm-hmm. and then it changes. And then someone has to do another cryptography thing to unlock. Okay, this is what this means now. In later, don't seasons. ask me. That stuff is so over my head. Um, I d- I hated math in school, but for some reason, physics makes sense to me. You know that we're learning about gravitational waves. And how we could skip over times and that everything that ever happened in the universe and everything that will ever happen are existing around each other. So that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, Too bad we're a billion years too late. You know, other planets already (laughs) discovered it. (laughs) I'm still not unconvinced that we're not just part of a simulation. I feel like we're part of a simulation. You mean a dream within a dream. I just mean some type of a... Some type of a weird organic program simulation. Yes, I agree. I was just making that other bullshit up. <laughs> well, I kind of am, too, because who fucking knows? Yeah, but... And we'll never know. And we'll never know unless you ask Stephen Hawking. He, but even he probably... Fuck off. 
<laughs> you suck. <laughs> Don't try to figure this out. Right. What are the mechanics you of... You weasels. What are you... Professor Hawking. Young weasels. Did I just say that? What? What are Young the weasels? What are the mechanics of the? What are the mechanics of that voice? You you really want to know? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. Okay. I'll just tell you, and maybe it'll make no sense. But you have there's so many chambers in your face and in your chest and in your stomach where you can produce sounds from, and and if you can channel any of those sounds, um, you know, there's people that can fart the national anthem. Now, that's baffling to me. I'm bedeviled by it. We need to get them on this podcast. Is what <laughs> so I guess I guess um, all my stuff is coming out through the front. You know? <clears throat> You've probably, I feel like you've discovered, it's like, Billy West has discovered more sound chambers in his body than most Americans. You must be like a no, 92%. No, Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Can use every chamber in his goddamn body. <laughs> I never saw anything like him. I really haven't. You know, and uh, he's the Mac Daddy. And what did you work with? Everybody uh, knows it. What did you work with Franco? Oh, lots of old, um, like, uh, Pink, not Pinky in the Brain. It was on a show called Hysteria. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. was on for a few years, actually. And it was to teach history that would make it fun where, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, there's an arc to each story instead of just cold, hard facts about, you know. They'd have George Burns playing... Uh, Jefferson or something, or Jay Leno, you know what I mean? Right. This was in the 90s, Oh, sure. Right? I, I went out to the uh, farmhouse where the hell was. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's those incongruous pairings. It took a second to compile all of the layers of Well, you remembered was. the word Jefferson, I had to say Yeah, that. and then go out to the, and then it's Leno doing that as in... And to this very day, there's um, young uh, kids that have big jaws. <laughs> we'll be right back. We got a great show for you tonight. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, Poor Jay. No, poor nothing, you know. Not poor Jay. I just mean like he's up on Shadow Hill. What poor Jay? Because I know he. I feel like he loves working, and he's he does. And and he. I don't know how much working he's. I mean, like I think he could probably do a lot of things. We've tried to get him. I think you'd be great on at midnight. I think you'd be great on at midnight too. Because it's what's that? It's a show I do. Yeah. It's basically just a, a little. It's like a fake comedy game show. How many shows do you do? You have an HBO uh, special. I had a Comedy Central special. Oh, and in. I didn't know you were a stand-up comic. I thought you were the best interviewer in the world. <laughs> I said, those two don't go together. That's like um, toothpaste and orange juice. No, I, I am. And I, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't know I do stand-up. But, it, yeah, I've been doing stand-up almost as long as anything else that I've been doing. But I it, tried it like 30-something years ago in um, Massachusetts, in Boston. Yeah. Outside of Boston in the Inland oh, that was, Square area. That was, was the perfect restaurant. time to be doing comedy in Boston. Like that was a, 81. Oh, the yeah, but everybody was good except me. <laughs> did you do voices or did you do you? No, I started thinking too much trying to be funny, but I made fast friends with like Lenny Clark and yep. Jimmy Tingle and Steve Sweeney, all those guys, and Don uh, Gavin and and Barry Crimmins, mm-hmm. who fascinates me no end to this day. 
But you wanted to know about this voice, so I'll tell you about Barry. Oh no, no! Like this is a good. This is a good trip. We can get to the voice in a little you bit. You like that I'm all over the map. Everybody else fucking hates it. No, well, because we have it's a like, lot of runway. Can't organize a sentence. We have a lot of runway, so it doesn't matter. We can go back to things. We good, can I like that. In and out. There's a, this is, so the past you know, and the future exist, exist right together. Here. This, this is physics, and, and what's, <laughs> what's great about it is that. Uh, it. I'll just follow you wherever you go and just kind of see what it is that you want to chat about, and that's what we'll chat about. So there's no I, – I feel like too much linear structure is – then you're kind of trapping someone in a box, and then they may, that's where they kind of start to lock up well, and that's why Well, that's why it's hard for me to explain how I do stuff because I don't even want to know, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it just happens. You just no, do I it. mean I have like a kid thing about it. It's like kids have magical thinking. You know, and it's when somebody tells you that you can't do something, it's not possible, then you sort of stop there. Right. And you're in a box. Um, with me, I mean, it's like a bumblebee. You know, it, it's buzzing around and flying, and, and aerodynamically, it's not supposed to be able to fly, but it doesn't know it. But it makes the best Cheerios. Honey, <gasps> a Cheerios. There it is. <laughs> Two guys took my job since I stopped. <laughs> Because I'm irresistible. I would love to hear a bunch of tracks of the disgruntled Honey Nut Cheerios bee. Oh, look out. You bastards! I did that on um, Seth MacFarlane's show. Oh, you did? Yeah, on the Family Guy. On Family Guy. Did you- the trademarks were having some sort of a scuffle in a schoolyard or something. <laughs> and uh, the Honey Bee got pissed. That's fantastic. I feel like that should fight. I feel like he should fight the old Antonio Banderas Nasonex B. Oh, the Nasonex B. See, si. boy, was he laying it on, <laughs> and it was the ugliest creature. <laughs> it looked like an exoskeleton. When did they come out of their coma after like a half a year of campaign? <laughs> you know, that thing was frightening to look at. Yeah, it was like. Um, Mothra, or yeah, it was a little bit. It, well, there was a little bit of a Godzilla. What was the caterpillar? The Japanese caterpillar, uh, giant. Uh, what was the giant caterpillar? I know Gamera the turtle. Okay, I do. Gam- Gamera was the turtle. What was the name of the cat? Katie's looking it up. Katie, thank you, you Katie. Thank you. Godzilla caterpillar. Hit them keys. Katie's getting out whatever whatever sort of fantasy sports league thing she's into. <laughs> was it Mothra? First it was okay. Oh, it was he was first a caterpillar. Okay, first caterpillar scared the shit right. out of me. Then, yeah. Well, I mean, but there... if you know too much, it's like if you begin to think about science, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to be able to do, you're lost. So I don't really want to know what's going on. Well, it's you know when people get. I mean, obviously, education is good. Information is good. You have to figure out the application of information. But Nasonex B got in here. <laughs> Oh, I am the nice B. Going to fuck your face. Gracias. That's that's a very Spanish. It's Castilian Spanish. It's Castilian Spanish. Yeah. yeah, he's very upper class B. Yeah, he sounds like he's uh, upper crust. This fancy fucking Spanish B coming in here telling me how to run my sinuses with the ugliest fuck face. You. I thought Jimmy Nonos had the ugliest face I ever saw. <laughs> Holy fuck, this thing could scare the raccoons out of the woods. It's a butter bee. A butter bee. Ah! <laughs> oh, I love you. Uh, well, uh, so anyway, you wanted to know about the stupid voice. I feel so like reluctantly, that... 
I'll show you because I didn't know what I was doing, but it was combinations of sounds that are separate from each other that you can make. Like you could go like that, but if you put a tone to it like um, that's your voice and that that fart noise. It almost and, sounds like that, what is it, Tuberian throat singing? Is that yes, it called? does. Yeah. But that's like, you know, that, that whistle comes out. Yeah. I could do it. Now I can't, but let's retape tomorrow. Okay, yeah, tomorrow we'll come back. <laughs> I'll come back. You go home and practice. I'll show you that I back. have hung with Tuvans. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a high voice and a low voice and some odd whistling pitches in between. It's astonishing. I, there's... I cannot tell you how many times on this show that I do, I have started off something with, good news, everyone. I can't. Oh, yeah? It's, it's so infectious. Well, we just wore it out to death, you know, like an old sock. And so one day the professor comes out and goes, good news, everyone. Bad news. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're, you know, they're inventing their own language all the time. I just think it's great. Did the show feel the same in all the different, in the different iterations? Yes. Yes, always. It was pretty much the same crew. I got to work with all my friends that I had been working with. DiMaggio. DiMaggio and Phil Lamar, Katie Segal, Tress McNeil, Maurice LaMarche, and uh, Dave Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Who could make you laugh with one word. He was the king of that that stuff. I mean, it's pretty amazing that you did so many of the voices in that show, but there still was that much of a supporting cast yes. at the same time. and they all won Emmys. And I didn't. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. You know what? Fuck it. No. If I take the stakes away from everybody, I can never get disappointed. Right. And then one day you might be serendipitous, serendipitously uh, surprised that they want to give you a lifetime achievement. Oh, you mean you're going to spend more than seven minutes on me? You know, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm up there. I, I just turned 64. What? In April. That's crazy. I know. Huh? How you feel? Like homemade shit sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm doing okay for an old is geezer. Is there store-bought shit? I feel like all shit is technically homemade. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yes, the Japanese were try trying to figure out how to make shit so they could make meat out of it. And then put in a vending machine. Right. I'm sure there's vending machine shit somewhere in Tokyo, uh, like outside of a subway station. You must be able to buy... You must be able to buy just poop. Konnichiwa. <laughs> just. <laughs> what's I'm the... sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's right. What's the What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you this year so far? In, and the, now that you just turned 64, like, what was the weirdest thing that happened to you in the last year of, um, your, of your life? Losing my balance. Yeah, you mean like your you've got to go to balance. a gym and work on your balance because things begin to happen to you. You know, it's the beginning of your body trying to betray you, and you got to beat it to the the punch. Right. If you can, it's weird. You gotta. I always said you'd have to spend the rest of your life doing battle with the guy you swore you'd never be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Your arch, your, this arch nemesis in your head yes. that you've created. Yes. That ultimately is a, yeah, this, a lot of who you are. This old guy with like mildew on his head, you know, like algae <laughs> spots. It's growing mushrooms, you know. These guys, I've seen them. It looks blue green on the top of their heads. <laughs> you've seen People with algae on there. You've seen it. I mean, I've seen these lesions, you know, and it's like it's too late. Don't do anything. <laughs> That's it. Don't even wear a hat. Don't don't even. What are you going to do? How can you stop it? You can't. It's just you know mushroom power. So you gotta. You have to. 
you know, that you got you got to do a little bit of exercise. You mm-hmm. got to work out. You got to eat well. You got to do all those things that you didn't want to do when, mm-hmm. you, were, when you were younger because uh-huh. they're not they're not that fun. But everything I do now, this is being honest, is um, the rewards of a totally misspent youth. I had no interest in academia. I used to have to go to church. Um, I knew the mass in Latin. I probably talked about that with you once. Did we talk about that? I think. Because I went to Catholic high school, so I had to know oh, all so the... Oh, so you know I had all, to know all the Paternosters and the... That ogre, ogre boga. Yeah. You know, never touch a girl between her legs. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1. John's letter to the Corinthians says, always enter through the back door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I want to tell you that's noise. The noise will not wait anymore. <laughs> It'll no longer wait. But don't you feel like you've been able to live this life of? I mean, you, you, you. Do you think you've kind of gotten to lead this extended adolescence through most of your yes, life? Just with, with absolutely. That? But I wouldn't be suited for anything else. I was learning how to imitate radiators when my friends in junior high, last year junior high, were getting laid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was like, you know, and clank, 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 clank. I wasn't like Fred Newman, the noise guy, or the other guy. Michael Winslow? Michael Winslow. I wasn't like that. I just, I, I was so peripheral in what, I, what fascinated me, and one of them was that artificial larynx sound. Right. When I was a kid, I heard it. I was about six or five, and there was something noise coming out of the other side of a restaurant that my mom took me to, and I hear, and I went, what is that? Mom, what is that? And she said, she happened to know, it's one of those artificial larynx, you know, because he had cancer, Bell Telephone artificial larynx. And I said, I got to get one of those. I was like going nuts (laughs) until one day I found one in Vegas. You just bought it? I just bought it. I said, how much? The guy goes, I don't know, five bucks. You know, because I saw it in the window of a pawn shop. It was like Pistolero, guitar, gold pieces, you know, watches, prosthetic leg, Prosthetic leg? You mean somebody came in there and pawned their legs so they could go over to the frontier and get the $3.95 special roast beef dinner? I'll be back. I'll be back. Oh, no. Yeah, so – and then I saw this the gadget, and I wanted to get it, and I went and got it, and uh, I took it back to the hotel, and it didn't work. Didn't work. I said, of course it didn't work. Cheap pawn shop larynx machine. No, no, it's not. It was built to last forever. You just have to have no voice oh. for it to activate. So yeah. Then- so I'm going like, uh, uh, intruder alert. <laughs> intruder alert. And uh, Reference nothing. to a classic video game. And nothing. So I wouldn't give up and I would get into that, you know, Stephen Hawking. You know, it's like his comedy would be. Sit down comedy, yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah. you do stand up. You I do stand up. Yeah, you understand yeah, the mega. Stand up. Yeah, I understand the mechanics of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like there was, um, and he his comedy. I mean, it would be like, do you know the difference between a comedian and a contingent? What a comedian tells jokes. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> What's wrong with this microphone? So he's 
starts bombing and, and you flashing out at the audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like taking it out on people who came to see you. <laughs> Nothing like it making them the target of your vehemence and every other problem you have that you should have worked out. Yeah, we've all been there once or twice. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the journey. It's you, part of the journey. T- do you have a time limit on your podcast? I mean, not really. They usually not really. roll about an hour, yeah. you know, ish. Well, me and John came in, we just refused to leave. <laughs> I think we refused to leave. DiMaggio like, What's was your a, hurry? What are you going to go do? DiMaggio is a delightful tornado. Oh, yes, he is. And he just, we, and whenever he's on, he, I, I always just make him launch. You, you, can, you can distract him so easily just by going, David Lee Roth, and he'll just go, oh! Like and then he he'll launch into the David Lee Roth because, soundboard because his mind uh, will glue it together with David Lee Roth nonsense. Yeah, oh, he's the best. Yeah, he is for that sort of thing. He's a one stop for nonsense. He for really one-stop is one stop shop. <laughs> he's great. Uh, but the reason I said that is because I one of the things I wanted to do was. Um, tell you about was my podcast the billy west podcast yeah you probably heard about it i have um it's very silly well me and jim gomez you know that name yeah i know jim yeah. met him like years ago didn't he work on ren and stimpy absolutely yeah i think he wrote space madness i think he wrote space madness it. yeah he's he's uh you know a jack of all trades as far as animation he can direct he's produced stuff he, he can physically animate and do storyboards um he and i started this podcast just to have some creative fun but mainly to test out our recently developed projects and turn them into audio cartoons. You know what I mean? Why not animate them? Just what we did. And uh, original series, I want Billy Bastard. He's this puppet. It was based on me when I was drinking and drugging. Yeah. You know, where you had to suck your tooth in the morning to find out what you might have eaten for dinner. <laughs> or, or, or whom. <laughs> we, pitched, we pitched that idea for three guys... And then a couple of years later, these three guys go out and make the Hangover. It's the uh, same. Th- it's, it was the same exact thing. God. Yeah, but you can't copyright an idea, so I mean, you can sort screw of. Screw it. I'll never run out of ideas, and they will. Yeah, fuck go you people. Yeah, but um, you know, we also have VO guys on, but it, but that was like I didn't want to interview my voiceover friends and make the rounds. You know, I'm not a great interviewer. I'll admit it. Robbie Paulson's a great, you know. Robbie Paulson, he's such a lovely. He's he, he fucking is, love that guy. Yeah, I don't know how lucky you know a person can get. Like I walk into a room and there's all these the Tom Kennys and Maurice Lamarches, John DiMaggio's, all of them. Um, I hold them in such high esteem, and it's like I still go to school when I watch them at their best. Oh my god! Yeah, and and it never ends. It just never ends. It's like no one can know that feeling of walking into a room full of geniuses, unless you're the janitor at MIT. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Rob Paulson is a Rob Paulson has the most amazing range. He does of voices that are indistinguishable. You can't. You wouldn't know it's the same guy. But even more impressive than that is that uh, he's so facile. You know what I mean? Like Quicksilver. Yeah. He's so facile. Um, I worked with him for three years on a show. You did? I did, and it was uh, the it was we recorded as a cast. So you and knew it was him super fun. before you knew me. Um, I did. I knew him just a little before you, but that's okay. Everyone's Man, special. I can only take so much bad news, and, <laughs> and then I'll snap. 
Don't push me on Snap. Um, yeah, so this podcast was the best way to go about all that, you know, audio cartoons, throwback to the old radio format, yeah. which I kind of do. And I also decimate songs that we all knew, um, you know, like Cold as Ice and everything. Everybody can sing it. Everybody remembers the chorus. A classic foreigner jam. But nobody ever really listened to the lyrics. So you have to go to the podcast and, and pull up uh, Foreign or my, uh, my dissection. <laughs> who did of you, the tune. Who did you dissect Foreigner as? Um, <clears throat> the lyrics. I mean, but did you do a character dissecting them? No, no, no. It was me. Just sitting there, figuring it out. I don't think I know. Let's see. And I did it with Billy Joel. You know, it's like these lyrics, if you examine them, no one knows what they were saying. And I saw I was like acting it out what was really going on. You know, you cold his ice, you're willing to sacrifice. What, he, he's brought her up on charges? Yeah. Because she doesn't see life like him? Yeah. You know, and you're cold as ice, you know, you're going to pay and all this, and, you know, inculcation, you know, with the devil. But, Go after that, bro. But don't you feel like a lot of, but don't you feel like a lot of it was, uh, I feel like a lot of, like when you ever hear someone, like a, a, a rough demo, and they're just kind of making noises like, uh, like they're kind of sure. just saying words. Sure. And I think a lot of that is just they just didn't write new words. They're like, oh, that just sounds no, like something. No, these were really thought about. And they're, they're <laughs> serious. No way. They're seriously pompous. So I couldn't stand it. I mean, everybody loves the tune. Everybody knows it, but they don't know Katie, it. give me Lou Graham on the phone. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll demonstrate if you got that tune or one of them. But um, this um, podcast that I got going – BillyWestPodcast.com, please. Um, it's some fucking around stuff, but we also have serial segments. And I told you about Billy Bastard. It was a puppet feature we developed and turned into a 10-part audio series. And we have, a, we have other serials coming up, you know. Okay. Okay. You're as cold as ice. And what are you? Well, who knows better than you? She's got her up on charges. You never take advice. So why are you empirical evidence of advice? You know, he knows. Oh, he's seen it before, so he's a tight player. He's, he picks these girls. You're throwing it away and you're digging for gold. These are some serious charges. But he's seen it before. It happens all the time. Yeah, to him. Listen, just, to this, listen to this pompous march, you know. The men of Annapolis. What makes you think you had a special thing? You know, maybe she's just not that into you. You know what I think is amazing about this is that if you take the song away. And you just you continue to break it down. Yes, you sound completely insane. <laughs> I do. No, no. If 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 you were to have a conversation with the song, but no one else could hear the song. Oh well, isn't that what just happened? That's you don't even own a cell phone. <laughs> I don't believe in them. That came that... out of my ear. Sorry, I, I found they... one more chamber to produce noises. From. I don't believe in cell phones. I don't think they exist. Oh, I don't either. I, I, I've never seen one. I've never no. seen one out in the wild. I don't nah. think they're real. I don't yeah. think they're real. Down the cell phone hall. Lou Graham. Lou Fucking Graham. foreigner. Well, you know what? I love them and everything, but I've heard so many lyrics from that particular era where, God, it was like uh, guys were running roughshod on women. 
you know, like just because some guy gets hurt, he's going to sing these opuses, you know, and, and uh, opera p- pieces about how much he hates her. He's got he's got to get his feelings out. Yeah, well, see, love and hate are on opposite sides of the same coin. Lou, yes. Lou Graham. Lou. I think they're on the side. So- I think they're on the same side of the coin. To be honest. Well, they're out there again. Foreigners out there doing Yeah, maybe again? they've read some feminist books, you know. <laughs> Jermaine Greer, the female. You're as cold as ice, but totally justified, I know. Yeah. I've seen it before. It happens all the time. You can really sing like him, though. Uh, not like DiMaggio, though. DiMaggio. Oh, yeah. DiMaggio can get up there, and then Robbie Paulson gets up there, too. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. yeah well, that, well, Robbie's a true singer. He's a real singer. I've sung with him and played with him. I'm surprised we haven't done more music, all us guys. But these guys are on my show. I'm trying to get every one of them in sequence. Um, Charlie Adler. Yeah. God, he's like the mad woman of Shio. He has so much energy, and it's this wild, uh, you know, he's like a Tesla uh, <laughs> attract, like lightning generator. Yeah. Yeah, I have different expressions for each person, like what they do, how they make me feel. Um, and it's inspirational. So I got them on as pe- people in my regular life. That's what I write about mostly, is talk about people that were in my regular life, like my neighbor over in Studio City, and two old biddies that used to come down and keep asking me if I was okay. <laughs> Why do they think you were not okay? That's what old women do. <laughs> Why don't you fix your collar? They're like Judge Judy. <laughs> Close your mouth. Look at me when I'm talking. Don't look at your shoes. You know, it's like that. It's like they've never stopped being second-grade school teachers, you know? You know what, though? I kind of understand it because already, you know, I look at teenagers now and I'm like, God damn it, you don't know. You don't know what But it's true. Yeah, like, don't Like know. my dad said to me, it's, it was true. He, it was true. We didn't know anything. But you think you know stuff. Yeah, and then you go, those little fucking 20-year-olds. I know what you're saying. Where you don't know anything. But, then, but they... And and I, I remember being that age, and I remember speaking with authority. I remember speaking like I knew stuff, or like you know, like or talking back to my parents like they were dumb and well, I didn't. Well, know. they wouldn't cross-examine you. You had the upper hand. You had this energy, kinetic energy, to just dance around them. That's what every twenty-year-old is endowed with. And I just feel a lot, like a lot of social media is a lot of twenty-year-olds saying stuff like they know what's what, and I'm just like, you don't know, and I just get all cranky and, and no, elderly. You know Adam. what? It was became very apparent to me when I was ten years old. I knew in my heart of hearts that adults were full of shit. You know, I just knew it. I could see it. I was like a little old man. I never had a chance to be a kid because I had a really rough start um, in this house of horrors I lived in with my dad. But um, it's I, I just sat like a little alien. I, I felt so um, disenfranchised from the other people in my family, uh, except my mom. She was great. But, I mean, uncles, this and that. I just – I was busting hypocrisy. And why was I so busy with that in the golden years, you know? I mean, not the golden years, but the, the wonder years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that you shouldn't be having to manage your family at that age. And, and, and watch out that they go to bed okay without leaving fires, you know, yeah, that's cigarettes. A really terrible position to have to be in to be caretaker of. I was. Ugh. You don't have kids, do you? No, I don't. Um, because I had such an alcohol and drug problem, um, it took me, after I quit, like 20 something years ago, um, 
it took me almost that much time to to cut through scar tissue. Oh, sure. It really was. I thought I was in the pink. You know, I thought I was doing great, and and then you realize, uh, I was I was like the same little kid that was trying to look at others to see how you laugh or how you get mad, like an alien. Well, you kind of you you kind of uh, when when you when you start down that path. You're kind of deferring all these emotional things. You're not dealing with them, so you're shoving it down by self-medicating. And you feel better in the moment, but you're causing long-term damage. But you're not fixing the problem, so it just compiles and compiles and compiles. And so when you – I think the confusing thing for people is when they quit, they don't always immediately go – Hey, I feel amazing. It's like, no, no. You kind of just got to get all the... It's like you got to scoop all the garbage out of your yard so you can see yes. what's wrong with the soil. And then you can kind of... Well, a lot of guys don't want to pull that boulder and look at what's underneath it. You know, it's like Mostly why... millipedes. The, why guys don't get colonoscopies. It's like they're looking... They don't want to see all this vermin under the rock. Right. Oh, Doesn't mean you, it's not there. That's right. But it's just don't want to look at it. That's true. It's no fun. Um, but I... Um, you know, I was like, I became kind of dead serious when I stopped drinking and drugging. I was playing rock and roll music. I was in bands. You know, that's what I did. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. I counted the days down since the eighth grade when I was going to get out of high school. I swear to you, I just had no use for academia at all. I watched the Three Stooges before I went to school in the morning in Detroit. You're talking 1958. And I went to school with a head full of that stuff. But I was learning to act. I think I was learning comedic timing. I would imagine if you were at that age and that was what you were filling your brain with, your brain with, and that Mm -hmm. that, that, there's no way that was not set setting in. But um, but I just you know I make observations and then I build on them like with notes and stuff, uh, which I'll tell you about. But on this podcast, I had to create a couple characters. I had to create programming. You know, which I have to put together, and uh, it's tough. That's why I can't do a podcast every day or once a week. I have to, you know, I have to sort of meet them out. Yeah. Because, you know, I want them to be half entertaining, which which they're very funny. They're great, and a lot of people are have checked it out and talking about the characters, and they're getting involved with some of the characters that seem real. Yeah. Like Kim Jong-il, you know, wanted uh, Futurama to come back, so he started his own cartoon studio. Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un? Un, Un sorry. Kim Jong-un, yeah. Uh, the other guy, Yeah, it's not more like Kim Jong-un. Well, probably. two fatheads, no waiting. <laughs> but both of them. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's fantasy. Um, Jim makes these, these composites on Twitter, placing me in situations, or Charlie Adler or Maurice LaMarche. Maurice played my neighbor, who was an entertainment lawyer, and he knows the guy, so he did a dead-on impression of him, which means nothing to anybody else in the world except for four people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and who cares? Because funny is funny. Um, and he did a great job. Uh, I'm waiting to get Robbie in. But, but I had to create some characters in case I couldn't find people. And one of them is um, the guy who owns the podcast. <clears throat> we call him the Lillist CEO. <laughs> Now, he's got an Armani suit. He's a he's some fucked up, you know, ten year old or eight year old, <laughs> and uh, who thinks he's in charge of everything. And he has money. He has like unlimited money, and he'll come in and bust our balls. You know, I was listening to your podcast. Yeah. Did you like it? Fuck no. You know. Well, why not? 
because it's lame. It it doesn't sound anything like reality. It's contrived. It's like you're bullshitting your way through an hour. I want to fucking fire you guys right now. Oh, man, you're going awful hard on us. Well, you deserve it. You know, imagine a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old with an Armani suit on telling you what to do, what's what. And, uh, you know, he's he's a little scutch, as my Italian friends say. But it's all... But it's all uh... Just kind of combing the farthest corners of all the shit that you're working. I mean, it's like this type of work had to have been so therapeutic it was, for your life. I'll tell you why. Because me and Jim Gomez, you know, we've pitched shows and you walk in and there's 23-year-old girl executives with fuzzy pink sweaters and an engagement ring. You know, like the dental assistants when you went to the dentist and the girl was going to get married. You know, she had the big rock and the fuzzy pink sweater and... Madman. You're going to have a great life, yeah. Um, but that's what it was like, you know. I said, "Who? this is Lil Hollywood. You know, the adventures of Hollywood when it was Lil. Right. You know, like our gang. You know, the terror of Tiny Town. Did you ever see that movie? It was all done with oh little God. people. Oh, my God, yes, yes. That's what the world began to look like to me, probably because I'm old. But, um, you know, we had to make a commentary on it. So I thought, well... You know, let's have this kid. We were working on him, and we were going to use him for something, for a cartoon, actually. That, but, you know, good ideas, they stick around. I just want to do something with every one of them. Like Billy Bastard, it was based on me when I was drinking and drugging, but it sounds like Buddy Rich. You ever hear those Buddy Rich bus tapes? Oh, yes. Where where he's walking around on the bus as it's traveling, and the band is in, you know, filled the bus. And they're sitting there, and he's doing, like, Spanish... Inquisition. Who played that motherfucking flat note? <laughs> you motherfuckers! I'm gonna get me an all LA band tonight, and don't think it's don't think it's not possible. It's very fucking possible. And what's what are you doing with that beard? <laughs> I, I kind of like it. You know, they sound like British guys because he ran out of American guys. <laughs> so I, I rather like it. Well, shave it off. I don't think I will. Shave that motherfucking beard off. This is the Buddy Rich Band, a band with faces, not the fucking House of David. <laughs> you know, and this character... Was it that bad? Yes. I don't remember it. Oh, you, yeah. I, I feel like I've heard him stop it. You around. come up here playing like high school clowns. You play shit for me. Oh, and the trumpets are taking over the band now? You're so fucking loud over there, you don't know anything about dynamics? You know. Is there any part where he's right, or is there any part where he's just a complete? He might lunatic? be right, but you got to remember, is he was a superlative, and nothing was ever going to be as good as Ella mm-hmm. and Frank and all the monsters he played with. That was right. the, that was the real deal. And then you've got these guys that you know got a Berkeley Berkeley College. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, he's angry, man. He's got to get some anger management. What? You know, <laughs> what were you just saying? I was reading your lips, motherfucker. What were you saying? I, I was just, I was just saying that you know sometimes uh, there's better ways to deal with your anger. I'm not angry. I'm happy because I thought you guys were fucking good, but you're playing like children up there, fucking children. But but I had to tone him down because I didn't want the the podcast to be totally profane or anything. Of course. Because I did all the dirty stuff on the Stern show, you know? Right. 
I mean, the blue stuff. We were we ran, uh, we ran wild. You know, it was like uh, every day you were incurring the wrath of certain people, and most people got it. You know, um, but I used to we used to be free with the lingo, but we never swore though. That's the thing. You people, couldn't before. People thought we did. Now now we can, but you couldn't. But before. I mean, I made up my own words. You know, like Robin was fighting with one of my characters or something and I said uh, oh it was red from the tube bar I just brought him out of mothballs and put him there you know <laughs> Robin I love that Robin what what she black oh you know and, and then um, <laughs> she would say listen you old racist you know you vagunt <laughs> and this and this was suddenly profane. <laughs> you, this was profanity to, to a lot of these stiffs out there. These goody goodies. That what are you doing? Listening to the Howard Stern show? For God's sakes, it's the Grand Central Station of Waha. How is Vajon not part of our vernacular? I hope it is. No, actually, I don't, because. Uh, I, I, I was an old school gentleman. I treated women like gentlemen, except when I was drunk, but I never hit any of them or, uh, you know, I'd always turn it inward at myself because I was angry at myself. Yeah. I read the feminist books the minute I got out of high school because I was watching women, you know, walking around painter's pants and hobnail boots and I didn't have much of a problem with it, although I was old fashioned and my ideas about women were formulated in the fifties. So, you know, um, but I wanted to know what it was all about when they say, don't hold the fucking door for me. You know, so I started reading Jermaine Greer and uh, Marilyn French. All of these. I know you can't believe it, but I wanted to know what the hell was going on. This was a cultural movement. And, you know, I was just unaware. Did and you learn? I did learn. Oh, that's good. I did learn. Uh, but see, there's no greater fascist than the newly empowered <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You mean when you got... Then it's overkill. You know, then it's, you know, our group. You get together and you have a group and then you get a microphone and then you get interviewed on TV and now you're happening and people get mic disease. And another thing! You know, they... Okay, we got to end our segment now. No! And they, and they get like crazy, you know? Off with his head! Uh, me? Me? I can't... I'm a talking head. I can't have off with my head. Was and the Stern Show fun? What? Was the Stern Show fun? Yes. It was, it was so fun to be there and laughing like that. I felt like I was high. You can laugh. I don't know if you've ever laughed that hard where you cross the, the time-space continuum. Right, where you start seeing... And your ribs hurt and then they don't hurt and you feel like you're high. You know, it, it, it was that kind of avalanche of, you know, wit and, uh, you know, rebel stuff. Yeah. You know, he, he knew – you can't fuck with art. You can't fuck with the form unless you know it inside and out. It's like Jeff Beck playing guitar. He knows the 12-bar blues inside and out. So now what do you do? Fuck with it. And that's what you, you watch him play and you see what you get, you know. But Stern uh. knew radio inside and out. And he was also a program director and his own newsman, I guess. But but he was like a – you know, he did it all. He's like a one-man band and then he got Robin – but he sat there and says, okay, if I've taken this much trouble to go out there and I can't make a statement, 
I have to fight every myopic program director and producer or whatever in radio. Um, he says, I'm going to do it. You know, and so he's like, he's like all of us. You know, there's a time where, hey, it's cold out there alone, and you've got to lay your balls on the line, you know. But it was fun, more than fun. Well, that's why <clears throat> I think all of the copycats that followed once he started getting famous were – was really interesting because it was basically a lot of the language without the substance. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like what you were saying. It's like he knew the form really well so he could fuck with it. He, but it was, it was a complete piece. You know, it was perfect. I, I didn't even want to be part of it to tell you the truth because I thought it was a, a perfect, perfect situation as far as um, new comedy. Yeah. On the radio, you know, people saying stuff that you never, you never could say. I was in radio in Boston like in 1981 – and we had to play romper room as far as language went. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, because you'd get your ass kicked. Did, but, did oh. you leave the show? I don't know. I left, yeah. Yeah, because there was no money in it for me. Right. Howard was an anomaly. You know, there's only like one or two other guys that made like unbelievable money. Right. And Howard earned it. He lit his own fireworks and worked it. And yet he he happened to be better than everybody else. So there was like no contest. But there was always the Rush Limbaugh's that didn't even fit in the same category. But they made fortunes. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, we just try to make people laugh. Howard was like, you know, I don't give a damn if an an impression is dead on. I want it to be funny. You know, so I would always keep that in mind. Yeah, what difference does it make if you're dead on or not? You know, you're going to be a footnote in voiceover history if you mimic characters forever. You know, well, yeah, it's not like any of Dana Carvey's impressions were dead on. He just captured the essence of That's something. That's right. And Gilbert has boiled down somebody to a noise. Do you know what I mean? He'd say, "I was duck hunting the other day, and I ran into a flock of David Brenners." And and he, he's got these geese flying across the sky, going, "Huh, huh, 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 Gilbert made me laugh. So hard. Oh, my God. I was on his podcast, and we were talking about old Hollywood, particularly Stooges. Oh, i do the next time I go to New York. That's great. Oh, please give him my best. Well, you were talking about old Stooges? Yeah. Who's his favorite Stooge? I don't know if we ever got to that, but but we broke it down. We spectrum analyzed this whole Stooge thing. Because Stimpy was Larry, basically. Yep. So was Larry your favorite? Larry came to be my favorite because everybody could do Moe and everybody could do Curly. But no one gave a damn about Larry, and I started fixating on him because I was one of those people that devoured the Stooges. You know, it's like the guy who loves lobster so much he keeps sucking on the legs, right. looking for something more. He'll even stoop to the green tamale inside of a lobster, you know, <laughs> just to keep the game going. And uh, I was like that, you know. It was OCD and ADHD. I just I found out I just had that, you know. Did you? I found out last year or so. Oh, for real? Yeah, and it's like I told my friends, hey, guess what? I got that stupid ADHD, and they said, you paid someone to tell you that? And then you said, what were we talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, a beetle! The medicine ain't working. It doesn't, it doesn't. Do you, were you ever worried that, like, if I medicate, it's going to take down some of the edge off my character? I worried. I worried in the beginning because it was suggested because I was born with chronic low-level depression. I was diagnosed for it. So I never had many happy days no matter what. Even if my life was going great, there was the sort of Damocles. 
you know, my speech would be staggered. I'd run out of breath, and I'd have these little twinges of something I did wrong 20 years ago. You know, like, ooh. And you're not supposed to hang on like that, like an Akita, you know, to somebody's leg. Um, So um, I just, this guy said, well, I'm going to put you on some depressants, low dose for now. And I said, let me ask you something. Yes. That's what he sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yes. And I said, what if back in the slave days they had bupropion and Welbutrin and nefazadone that addresses mood and um, and well-being. You know, puts you at ease like you, so you're not like going out of your mind at odds with yourself right there in your head. What if it was around during slave days and, and here these slaves were out there. How could you express anything except just, you know, being beaten down and tortured and everything? Well, they invented the true American art form, which was 12-bar blues. They sung out their pain, you know? And I said, what if you had all this stuff back then and you gave it to them and they were like, they were okay with it? You know, I don't know, but... What did he say? But he said, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> I said, well, you know what I mean. I mean, would the House of Blues be standing there right. today where a bunch of white guys in three-piece suits are having jambalaya and crawfish, and they're looking up at these black icons, you know, having no idea who any of them are. And, uh, you know, he said, well, I've had people tell me, they were creative people, that they were doing the best work of their career because they were focused. Right. And uh, that helped in taking the pressure off of this depression that makes you just squirm day and night. Which probably, you know, kind of feels like... You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to do anything. You know, it's just too overwhelming to, fo- I mean, to focus. If they had this stuff, you know, uh, Van Gogh would, ha- would have two ears still. <laughs> it's possible. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think about history. And since everything that has ever happened and everything that ever will happen is right here. That's this, right. In this room. We've physics. created uh, a millionth of it. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I took some notes. That's what I told you. I don't have an act, but I took some notes. I saw the most amazing thing yesterday, and I bet you know about it. What? Tom Kenny yeah. sent me an invite to go to this little Mexican place over near Glendale, I think, Victory. Okay. And uh, a huge crowd is there, and I had a feeling it would be because it was the five blind boys of Mississippi. They were electrifying electrifying, like gospel and power and majesty, and I was lost. I never let myself go to music like that, ever. You know, I didn't trust anything. didn't trust anybody. So Tom Kenny knows about the coolest stuff. Oh, yeah, but my friend Eddie Gordetsky, you must know him. I don't know Eddie. Eddie's, like, his name is in the credits as producer for so many hit comedies, you know? He he was with Chuck Lorre. Oh, okay. On all those shows, and then he he uh, created Mom, pretty much. Oh, gotcha. Okay, and that's a killer show. Yeah, but you know, me and him were bums like thirty years ago working at a radio station in Boston. We were as, <laughs> we were as high as rats, and we'd be, we'd be lying out back, you know, like near Fenway Park, and I'd say we'd look up at the sky, and I'd say, "Oh, the sky is blue. It's fucking blue. I know it. It's fucking blue. It's, they can't, this is not brown, so it must be blue. You know, Coke." Rap, barking tuna, yep. <laughs> swimming up the hallway. So um, I said, what must it be like? 
What must it be like to be the guy, to be the fucking man? And uh, he would sit there and go, we'll never know. You know, and meanwhile, he is like, he's, he's like, to me, he's the like man. Sheldon Leonard or Aaron Spelling, you know right. what I mean? And, uh, and I'm whatever it is I did. I can't, you know, name my qualifications or, or call myself a particular thing, but I, but I have been working steady for over 20-something years, 27 years. Yeah. So, you know, that's being up there in your craft. I mean, it, it's hard to – you get so used to rejection or putting out fires or that when things actually start going well, it can it's, be a little hard to recognize. But you leave the ground suddenly and you don't know what the hell to do. It's like the runners that trained with rocks on their back. Right. You know, once they were off, they, their feet must have felt like they left the ground. Yeah. Um, so we were like, yeah, kind of out of that whole thing. But I got to tell you, um, I was in a crowded room full of people and – they were nothing short of electrified and me. That we were singing. We wanted to hold hands practically. When was the last time you saw that in the afternoon? You know? <laughs> in Glendale. No, it was, it was such an amazing thing. And it was the closest you could get to the old days. This guy sounded like Wilson Pickett and a lot of those gospel soul singers. He was right up there with him, I swear. And he was an older guy. So he's like, he's one of the real McCoys. And I was so filled with joy and love after experiencing this show. You know, because he was out there. I mean, it, this was real, Mr. Hardwick. Let me tell you. Um, it was like, you know, my God is a good God. Sing with me, y'all. You know, and it was it was just, it set me on fire. And uh, he's spreading this, you know, it could have been me, that man in the wheelchair with no feet. You know, and the singer spread this message of love and, his, and light to as many people as, as he could, you know, so it set us on fire. And did you take that away with you? Yes, I was filled with, like, all the good things that are important in life that you let go of because of how you're forced to behave in crowds of people that is relentless. Right. It just turns you into a rat. Well, most of that's self-imposed. I well, have that, though. I can't. I'm bad at I can't. When I get near people, I get, I mean, like, like if I'm at a restaurant and there's people like sitting right next to me. I talk really quiet because I just I feel oh, so. And I can't help it. I mean, I get loud. <laughs> I can't help it because I get on this crusade or whatever it is. My thing is that there's no day. way people don't recognize you. They go, "You sound just oh, like people do," because they they're so familiar with Philip J. Fry that you know, who's just like you, just a little higher. Yes, like when I was 25, right? Which is what I did. Um, but I went out in the world. And instead of, like, trying to spread joy and love and everything, I picked hell. Studio City Ralphs. I was filled with good cheer and benevolence and love for all mankind to, like, park the car. Somebody comes up, stuffs his car in between me and another car, and opens the goddamn door into the side of my car. I wanted to have my own gospel meeting right there. You know, it's like... if you, Everybody sing. My God, everybody sing. Come on, clap your hands. Come on, clap your hands. Now, wait a minute. God's going to kick your ass. God's going to give you cancer. I got me a push cart, and I'm going to demolish your car because God is going to end your life. You know, I was like, I was preaching like the guy, except for all, I was on the wrong team. <laughs> you know, and it was like, you know. Did you confront this man? Um, I just. You know, it was in my mind to do these things. That's how I fought every battle is I had to make it somehow enjoyable for me, man's inhumanity to man. You know, 
And uh, that's how I handled everything. It's like if, if you go on and you look at the news, it doesn't matter if it's from here or somewhere else. They're heartbreakers. Every sentence is a killer and a heartbreaker. Well, yeah, because people will – it's fear-mongering because people will watch if they feel like their lives are at stake or if there are horrible things that they – you know, if the – I mean, there are horrible things in the world. There are also good things in the world. But but a lot of people still deserve a shopping cart into the side of their car with me commandeering <laughs> it. An eye for an eye and Armageddon for denting my car. You godless, bloodless, apathetic fuck. You know. Oh, that was just Billy West. He was just in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I had a crowd, you know. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, brother! Do you ever... Uh... Do you have you ever been in a situation where you you're able to use the voices to an advantage? No, really, no, because the opposite happens. Um, you're embarrassing them. There's no greater pissed off. It's like you know the first level, the fifth level of hell, right? Or P P seven, you know, in a supermarket or whatever. It's low, and they once they get embarrassed. Or they're looking around like, and they don't understand where the fuck you're coming from. They get all mad, they get all crazy, and start screaming at you. You fucking freak! You fucking freak! What are you doing? You know, all I did was ding your car. Oh, suddenly I'm a bad man. Does that make me a bad man? You fucking freak! You know, and it's, and it's like people have this misplaced anger. There's a lot of angry little dudes out there, There's and a I lot. don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of angry dudes. Little dudes. There's a lot of angry little out dudes there. out yeah, there. Yeah, it's like if you go on the computer and you look up something totally out of left field, like the ladies' home sodality for uh, flower growing and tips, you know. Yeah. Horticulture. Yeah. Floral culture, whatever. And they'll be on there like little spinsters, you know, it sounds like to me, and they'll be like, I planted my azaleas today, and they came out exactly like the picture on the label, and they were great. Well, mine was geraniums, and they were beautiful. And then the next post says, fuck you. <laughs> you know, a lot of angry <laughs> little dudes. Well, because there's a lot of people that need to express a lot of emotions, and they know that they can do it without having to be accountable for it. So... It's, uh, you know. Yeah, but you know what it is, is um, I can't let go. I still have a part of D, you know, in OCD. I think D never quite went away. <laughs> right. So. You focus on it? Yeah, I focus on it. But it's, it's this driving need to make it something that I can live with, you know, in my head. Uh, you know, creating scenarios and stuff. I was always like this little daydreamer. You know, I lived in my own world and I was the president of of it because my house was like the shining, you know. Right. Daddy's home. You know, it was like that. And uh you know, I became hyper vigilant because of that stuff. I could tell you what kind of a night I was in for by the sound of the key in the door. Oh yeah. Or the door closing on a car up the street. I could tell you whether Dad A was coming home or Dad B. Well, children are incredibly perceptive about that. Right. Stuff. And you have a sixth sense developing it's out of uh to survive survival yeah and and you become so hyper vigilant but that helped me with studying like sounds my whole world was a sonic world it bedeviled me if i heard a cyclone generator i mean a cyclotron when i was a kid um i'd go up the railroad tracks and there'd be a 
power generator emitting this frequency of like three notes or four. And I would just, you know, I know this sounds ridiculously crazy, but I would lie down next to it. And I could feel it, you know, and I would start there trying to figure it out. That's where all that comes from, you know, and I use that in the Stephen Hawking thing. Did it, uh, who do you see as the closest to, all these characters, all these characterizations, they must be aspects of things that you are expressing. Well, I love playing like Zap Brannigan because he's like this big friggin' lout in high school that I never could be. You know, I was always the kid that got the last piece of cake with a thumbprint in it. <laughs> right. You know, they'd all come barreling in. They didn't even want to eat food. There was a cake, cake, fucking cake, fucking cake, cake, cake. Like flanks of them. And and I thought, those guys grew up to be Zap Brannigan. And with a little tiny, tiny bit of success, you know, it was like, yeah, for the men. I've made it with a woman. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. And the, and the Zoidberg thing was just, you know, He's I told you before favorite. about those two marble mouth guys yeah. in theater, George Jessel, the host and a Toastmaster in the 30s. He had these things, you know. You know, you know the definition of a smart ass? A fellow that can sit in an ice cream cone and tell you what flavor it is. You know, and then there was Lou Jacoby, who was in uh, the first Arthur. Right. He leans into Dudley Moore and he goes, What's it like to have all that money? Oh, it he's doesn't the, suck. He's in the flower. He's the flower shop guy. Yes. And he, uh, there was something cool about the way they talked. They had, it sounded like they had meat dripping off their face. <laughs> so when I saw Zoidberg, that was a perfect way to portray it. But um, did I, I want to, I got to get back to this for a second. Did I, um, do you have a, like a, an audible version of like this um, podcast highlights? Like a sizzle reel? Did of we, our show? Did you get that? No, of my podcast. Of your show. Yeah, I don't well, know if we did. I think you did. Glenn Schwartz, you know that name? I know Glenn Schwartz, yeah. Well, he sent it to you. <laughs> well, he probably sent it to Deb. All right. So you got it Bring me Deb. the one they call Deb. <laughs> <laughs> now! <laughs> but yeah, play, role-playing is really important in my life because I can get out a lot of stuff. Just, it leaves once I... Uh, Embody it. Absolutely. Any news? Did you find it? Yeah. Eep. Eep. Oh, I wish I was dead. Do you want to? I'm, si- I'm sitting here with... I'm, si- I'm sitting here with the great Chris Hardwick. And his supporting crew, and I got egg on my face. I broke both arms and legs, you know? Right now, because you said there's no sample of the stuff. We'll get it and we can it's drop it in. It's a great show. If you can do it later, yeah, I would we can really do it later. appreciate it. Well, this isn't live, so we can just do it and drop it in. Okay. Super easy. Oh, great. Uh, so forget everything I just said. <laughs> and let's rewind. You were talking about, I just love Zoidberg. Just, I'm rewinding. Zo- Zoidberg is, Zoidberg is just. Even though there's no tape anymore. He's endless optimism. He's optim like he's, even though he doesn't really know or understand anything he's just pure optimism but it came from great pain and it's like occupying a higher moral ground except that he's a mooch (laughs) you know what i mean it came from great pain this hooray i'm popular and then the fascist comes out when he's newly empowered like i said earlier and he's like you know uh now i'm the popular one (laughs) that's that's what that whole thing meant to me you know like 
newly empowered groups, you know, alcoholic nuns get together and it's like, ha, now who's a drunk? <laughs> a super drunk. And I love God. It's like Hillary Clinton. She's beginning to sound like an empress. You know, I don't know on what galaxy, but she's like, and we are going to win this thing. <laughs> and you, Flash Gordon, you shall be imprisoned. <laughs> exactly. What was her name? The Queen Ming? Oh, uh. She's just like that, uh, though. I can't remember. It's the attack of the giant pantsuit. Well, if there was one movie that needed to be remade, it was Flash Gordon. They really did not nail it the first time. No, they didn't. They really did not no, nail it. No, you gotta it. get Hillary, you know, when she's doing the talk show circuit afterwards. And uh, she'd be like, you know, Kiss my ring! Genuflect! When you see me, avert your eyes! <sighs> <laughs> yeah, she, she sounded like a shrill school teacher the first time out when she was running for president. So now it's just like this imperious tone. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not, do you... That pants suit, though. <laughs> the hen suit. I always call that my aunts, and when my mom started wearing pants suits, I said, oh, you all got your hen suits on today, don't you? <laughs> How did that go over? Not good. Not good. No. Humor is not appreciated at home. What are you working on right now besides the podcast? Are you juggling shows? I finished up uh, the 7D for Kids Disney, mm -hmm. and I was playing um, Bashful. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, the 7D, the dwarves. Yes. 7D is a new take on Seven Dwarves, and it's a really great show. you got the same writers that were doing Pinky and the Brain and Tiny nice. Toons, Sherry Stoner. You know, these are genius writers, and they're so funny, and the show is fresh. When, I, when somebody says, do a kid's show, I'm like, oh, I can feel the oxygen leaving the room. You know, I can just see this pandering and make sure you enunciate every single word or the kids won't get it. It's funny. I listened to a lot of mishmash when I was a kid, and I understood every single word. Didn't you? Yes. You know, why are they, you know, you've got this perfect learning machine, and it's us who fucks them up. You know, like thinking that they're not able to handle basic skills. Right. Without some sort of uh, encouragement, cosmic encouragement from cartoon characters or something. Well, and also, I feel like a lot has been lost in the way of, I feel like so much, so much of that industry got so hyper-focused on, we have to make shows that are just for kids. We need to do all these psychological profiles and make shows that are just for kids. But what you lose by doing that is that the parents don't want to watch those shows because they're mind-numbing. And so you lose that kind of Muppet magic where it's like, hey, we'll all watch these together because there's something for all of us. And we can do this as a family. Well, that was, um, that was a great idea when it was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Right. You know, because cartoons... Uh, were relegated to, like, the animated ghetto by early 60s. You know, they had all that classic Warner Brothers uh, animation, and then they everything went away. They made television. But Rocky and Bullwinkle, Jay Ward Jay was Ward. smart enough to use the greatest voices available in the world. June Foray. June Foray. My God, she's, she's like 99 now. Oh, wow. And when I met her, I wouldn't let go of her. I was stunned. You never just, I lost my shit when I shook hands with Jeff Beck. It was like I couldn't stop shaking his hand, you know, until he started, like, looking <laughs> at me. And uh, same thing with her. I said, June, she's the voice actress of the world, you know. She lit the way for all us lunkheads, you know, back in the Ice Age, along with Mel Blanc and Dawes Butler, uh, Don Messick, Paul Fries. 
but they were all used on Rocky and Bullwinkle. And they came out of the Warner Brothers stuff and Hanna-Barbera. So uh, he had all these fantastic people. So there was something in it for your stupid uncle to enjoy. Right. Like these jokes that might a little bit too uh, sophisticated for somebody my age. But I swear I got them. I really did. I might have been 10 or nine when I first saw them, but I got everything that was going on. Upsidasium, you know, that new <laughs> element that could make you fly, or uh, Mount Flatten. There used to be a J. Ward store in Los Angeles on yes, Sunset right, Boulevard. That's Bullwinkle Emporium. Yeah, the, and so it was Bullwinkle holding Rocky, and I think the statue might still be there, but now it's like a pet hotel or something. It's not... Yeah, but you used to so, be able to go so, there... So who's... Holding up what the St. Francis of Assisi or something? <laughs> yeah. He's holding up Rocky and Bullwinkle. No, the, I think the statue might still be there, but I think it's behind a gate. And uh, but you used to be able to go there and buy like uh, Jay Ward. I went in there once and bought a cassette tape, and it was outtakes from certain live shows that the the characters were doing. Oh man! And uh, uh, Bill Scott would go to like these theme parks, you know, Six Flags Over Nothing, or I didn't even know where it came from, but. He would uh, say, "Isn't that nice, children?" And you heard Peabody in him. He was just—he was just hosting. And then you could hear the Bullwinkle in him. And these these other guys, you know, it's like, uh, well, there's something you don't see every day. Yeah. You know, what's that? You know, a frog with a jet suit on, or something. Uh, that was the running gag. Like two old men on a park bench who think they saw it all until you know the cartoon universe comes down and hits them in the. Punches him right in the dick. I kind of... Right in the prick. Right in that prick. Hey, you got some good prick physics. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what it would cost. Everyone's like, how much money would I have to make to be able to go to Mac Rainey and go, can I just produce like a like an audio Futurama podcast? Just like a mini four-episode, five-episode arc. Because I feel like... all the- We can't get Dave Herman. Where's Dave. He's in. Well, he lives around here, though. I know him. He's like the family guy. He's a family guy, like in every sense of the word. He's got great kids, smart kids. His wife is great, but it was hard to get him out. And I called him and I said, "Listen, Dave, we're gonna go see Mad, 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 Mad World at um, the Egyptian, seventy millimeter. This was an important movie in a lot of comedic people's lives because it had every comedian of the generation." In the movie somewhere. Sid Caesar, my absolute hero when I was a young boy. Um, Jonathan Winters, another hero of mine. And uh, everyone was in it. Jack Benny and uh, like uh, Milton Berle. And it's these, these, this crew of crazy people that think they're onto this treasure map. And they're all like sneaky, taking their own ways and everything. And the police are watching them the whole time. And the movie is about chasing these people. Now, during the movie, I think it was Real Five that was missing, and someone had to come out and said, ladies and gentlemen, we were going we're gonna to get to Real Five as soon as we get it. <laughs> In other words, it was sent without Real Five. Oh, no. This is a chase where it's an ongoing thing where they're trying to find something. And meanwhile, some, <laughs> some poor schlub is hightailing it to Van Nuys to a warehouse to find Real Five. Oh, no. You know, and he, I could see him coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm coming, Mama. I'm coming, Mama. You know, like Dick Sean. But you couldn't get Dave out for the... No, I got him out for that. And he said, uh, well, you know, that's kind of old school and everything. <laughs> I said, well, you just come out. And he brought his son. 
and uh, it was me and guys like Andy Paley and I think oh, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know a lot of these guys. Yeah. And and he's watching it and he was stunned how funny it was. He was just stunned, you know. Hey, the old school works still. That's why I think you could talk him into coming out. I don't know. You could bang it. You could bang that out in it. We could bang that out in two days. He's an interesting guy because he'll be. He's the guy at the table reads that was always in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, like Dallas or Austin. Wasn't he working on King of the Hill? Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. So, so in the middle of our table read, there was this contraption where we could hear him and he could hear us. You know, so when it came for his lines, it would sound like this. You know, and I swear, like Scruffy the janitor, one word. He was the king of that, the one-word stuff where he could fracture you, split you apart molecularly by his delivery of a single word. And to me, that's like, oh, my God, that's nirvana. This is my mission. This is my mission is to figure out how to produce a, a Futurama audio miniseries. This is my mission. Yeah? I will, well, yeah, you got the clout. Well, I don't know if that's What do you got, like, um, what do you got, like, uh? 88 million people that love you? I don't... Probably not. I think so. I don't think that's accurate if the internet is to be believed. Now who's the popular one? But, uh, <laughs> Come on, tell me. Let's tell me it doesn't to, feel good. I know that scene you're talking about. Tell me it doesn't goes, feel where Barnsworth good. Barnsworth goes, come on, everyone, let's all, let's all talk to Zoidberg. Like it's, it's so... It brilliantly distills but it's like a the, guy, the balance shift of popularity. But it's like a guy who's walking near a parade and suddenly one of the float people... All the float people grab him and hold him in the air. And he'd be like, yeah? <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> but. King of the world. What's <laughs> the one that killed me when you guys go? It's the one where Fry is his own grandfather. Yes. And they go back and, and the, it's, uh, it's uh, is it Truman? I don't know. They're throwing out your inner. They're throwing out Zoidberg's innards. And he's so delighted that the president is choking on his gas bladder. Yes, that fucking that I I let laid me out. And the equation of how it's possible to be your own grandfather was fascinating. They did the equation. Yeah, they did. How it's possible? I think Bill Wyman had that equation. I think he was his own grandfather. <laughs> no, for real. I heard something. You can look it up. That's the beauty of living in the future. Um, you look up everything. But uh, Bill Wyman apparently had sex. Uh, I don't know. I got my head tucked up my, you know, celestial ass. Up your right? prick. Up my prick. Your head's up your prick. Everything goes up there. Everything goes in. Everything. And everything comes come out, out this mouth. A lot of things go. Oh, you know, even... Talk about farting. <laughs> That's a juicy one. <laughs> that had teeth. Oh. <laughs> That's the best, the best segue. Hey, you talk about farting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I read this story this morning about how Mars is like... There's an area near the rover where it's just shooting methane. Oh, so Mars They're is just a farting planet. Farts. Yeah. The farts of Mars. The farts of Mars. Farshin, the farchin planet. Einstein. You know, he didn't even think. <laughs> he didn't think. He had no idea. So is it, who would I talk to? Would I talk to Matt? Yeah, you would. Matt would be the guy? And David Cohen. David Cohen or Matt? Yeah, or? you might want to read. David X. Cohen. They may want to actually put something together, you know. It's just a suggestion, but because the uh, animation, since, since you're going crazy to find some more material, you're, you're the guy that eats the lobster, and now you're sucking. Oh, I'm gonna suck every piece of it out. You're sucking cartilage out of the tail. Or maybe I don't do it. 
Maybe, Maybe I don't, don't do it. Do it and it's if... even better. And you're going to keep that secret like you won the $88 million in the lottery. God. I would never tell anybody. Boy, that's would... really putting yourself out there on the line, though, when you try to engineer something. And if it doesn't work exactly the way people want, then it's going to be my fault. Oh, you get blamed for anything, whether it's your fault or not. Yeah, that's true, but... Because I delegate all blame and, and accept all credit. <laughs> Even with you. I'm a vicious prick. I appreciate, I appreciate your honesty. Oh, yeah, I learned real fast here, you know. The guy that's shaking hands with you, there's a giant tongue that comes out and goes, you know, like a lizard. Oh, I learned right away how to be tough and play with the Hollywood boys. All right, I'm going to get on this. I'm not kidding. I'm going to fucking really try to serious? figure this out. Yeah, I think it's one of the best shows. It's one of my favorite animated shows. Do you think everybody thinks that that should be something? I bet you there'd be enough people who would. And, and just sit here and, and grind it out? I'll, because uh, I think the way to do it is it's not an extension of what already – I think it happens just kind of – I think you capitalize on the like the true detective thing of like oh we're just going to do like a limited miniseries so I think it takes place you know within the storyline because I feel like the show ended pretty beautifully. Yeah, I thought it did. I didn't So you think can't do you it could... afterward. You can't do an after. No, not really, but you know, I mean Matt's singled out me and John DiMaggio and Maurice LaMarche. We were up at Universal. It was the premiere episode of the new Simpsons season. This was like last year. And uh he's Knee-deep in people that want to talk to him, of course. And uh, he's like the Michael Jordan of animation and stories and programming. Um, But anyway, people are trying to get near him. And then he he looks up and he sees me and John and Maurice. We were just waiting to not bother him. You know what I mean? And he said, hey, I got to talk to you guys. And I was like, what? You know, and came over and he says, I got this thing. I got this thing... And I'm trying to sell it, uh, and he was like, he was getting a little vague at that point, which is beautiful to watch somebody like him just go, I don't know, you know, the oh, shucks. Yeah. And and it was beautiful to see. But he said, I, but I want you guys to do voices. So. But you have no one it was. I have no idea. <laughs> and I don't think it's, um, you know, like a Quinn Martin production where there's an epilogue to Futurama. Right. You remember those Quinn Martin? Of course. This is the FBI. The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin production. Epilogue. Yep. And then Police Squad made fun of all that stuff. Of course, Police Squad. Police Squad feasted on the... The sucked all the lobster juice out of Quinn Martin was all was all. The... What a thought! What a thought that he was swimming in the ocean for 150 years and he almost made it, but someone caught him and <laughs> just sucked all and, the juice. And like 25 people are going to eat him. Hey, dipped in butter, Quinn Martin. Epilogue. Any food. That still has a face on it. You are fucking dominant. You cannot dominate a creature any more than to eat its fucking face. That is the most you can dominate a creature. I, you're talking to a guy that's been vegan for close to 24 years. Well, you're going to be healthy for a long time. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm like, you know, somebody said, uh, oh, I said to my friend, it was Eddie Gordetsky. He's so funny, you know, but uh, I said, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't eat dead animals. And he said, I'm going to be one someday, so what do I care? <laughs> and it was funny, but I stuck to it. You know, I stuck to that whole thing. I get turned off, you know, but I'm not a fascist. I wasn't newly empowered, like, looking at other people's food in a restaurant. You have any idea what you're eating? Right. You can hear them squeal before they die <laughs> in that boiling water. Oh, great. Now I have a boner, too. <laughs> Look at <laughs> 
Now I have a boner and I'm hungry. <laughs> and look what it took to put this thing down. <laughs> to take them down and dip them in butter. I always, I always feel an extra badge of honor when Katie giggles. Because I just feel like it's, oh, yeah? very, it's very hard to make her laugh. She's heard it everything. Is? Yeah, well, you know I'm not like a comedian by trade. <laughs> so to hear something like that, that you're discerning enough to, to not swing with every pitch, while well, I do. <laughs> I have to ask you a huge favor, and it's a very cringy request, and I apologize. What? What are you but I'll, about? I'll, I'll give you money or I'll donate to your favorite charity or whatever. Nathan Fillion got DiMaggio to do Bender on his outgoing message. Really? Yeah. And I, I want to outdo him. You do? Yeah. So what would I have to do to build a Futurama scene? Write it. God damn it. Write it. What do I look like? Improvisation? You do. I read what's in I I read what's put in front of me, Jack. And it's worked for a real long time. I get a formula, see? I got a system. Don't you know? Don't you know? I withdraw my request. <laughs> no, I'll be glad to do it, but... I don't have anything good to say. I, You know what it is? is I'm always... And af- I know you guys get asked to do that all the time. I'm afraid of cliches. I mean, you could just... People pull Fry and Zoidberg, et cetera, et al. off of the internet with the memes, you know? Yeah. Shut up and take my money! Uh, yeah, that's a big... That's one of the big ones. Answer the phone! You know, I mean, I'm sure there's dialogue that people have constructed. Like the Schwarzenegger one? Oh, that, you know, my friend Jess Harnell, you know him? Yeah, I know Jess Harnell. Yeah, yeah. he's the best. And, well, I don't know him personally, but I know he's about, they're about to go back on tour with the Animaniacs. Yes, and Tress McNeil and, and Tress Robbie and Balls Robbie, and, yeah. And Mo, I think, yeah. But, um, it, Jesus, it was like, um, uh, what was I saying about this? Um, it reminded me of these guys. Um, what was I saying? Schwarzenegger. Wait, I got to take some Ritalin. Schwarzenegger. Oh, Schwarzenegger, yeah. Jess Harnell's car had the GPS as Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, you had that for one Terminator from, came out. From every movie. You know, it's like, take a right. And then, you've gone too far. You know, it was, it was so beautiful. I didn't care. I wanted to keep getting lost. So I could hear this, this lovable lunkhead say shit. Yeah. That's amazing. I remember That's that. That's postmodernism at its best. Of him doing himself, of him doing himself on a GPS, giving GPS directions. Postmodernism. Yeah, I'm trying to get, uh, I'm trying to get Rob and Jess and Tress and maybe and Mo to. I, I want them to come on to promote that tour, and just come on and fuck around. For... Now that's why I was. I thought about Jess, and I always think of everyone else I know. You know, so that's where I got lost in space. So Billy, the Billy West podcast is on iTunes now. I assume. yeah, it's Billy West. I... BillyWestPodcast.com. It's one word. Nice. And there's episodes up there, and you can start at the beginning, which is advisable. <laughs> but it's but it's a fun way to to just if you need any kind of weird laugh, you know. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's not that peripheral. I mean, we talk about real things in life, but we take it too far. Yeah. And it's edgy, and and it's real funny, and it's. It's better than college radio, okay? <laughs> okay. Not, not college radio kids like, hey, okay. Come on, you guys. Uh, we're gonna play a cut from um, Steak and Guns. <laughs> what? what? Was it Goofy Name Night? <laughs> we're gonna play um, Goofy Name cut. Nights, the next band. Yeah, right at the Viper Room, <laughs> Tuna Fish and Hornets tonight only. 
You never heard tuna fish and hornets? <laughs> what a, whatever. I was cool. I knew them before they were cool. I don't even know what they are now. That's right. Fucking sell out. Strontium and gang plants. P- planks. What? I don't. I, I stopped working. <laughs> I just totally put myself off the clock, and I we got to wind you back up. We got to wind you back up. I, I, yeah, well, overtime. All right. You know what? Guys love talking about money. You know, five and a half overtime. You know, when you listen to a table full of guys, they're always talking about money. Yeah, eight hundred bucks on the back end. You know, are you kidding me? You know, there's got to be fifteen hundred. Yeah, I had that happen to me. You know, time and a half overtime, and that was all bullshit. You go near a table of women, and the words you hear most are he, his, him. You know, carping about why there's no good guys. He won't shut up about money. <laughs> That's. I'm tired of listening to him. Hey man, I'm your fan. I give oh, I it up. I appreciate that. I give it up to you. I appreciate that. I adore you. And, and I'm I, laughing and I, out loud for real. It's not like I'm giving you courtesy giggles. I appreciate that you come back on, and you obviously just keep coming on. We'll just keep coming on to talk about stuff. Yeah, so stuff. We're always great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Billy West Pod. BillyWestPodcast.com is where people should yeah. go. To be continued. To be continued. I hope so. Thanks, I love Billy you. No, I really do. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, you're up there with all my friends. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. My friends that are winning Emmys, not me. <laughs> don't don't tell me. If you got a mantle in here, I'll bet you dollars to don't. You got a fucking statue. I, Come I, on. I have an Emmy. Admit it. Just I do. I do. I have one. All right, you do. I do. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was I was just building a jive scenario, so. I, I'm sorry, I do have one. So I could pad my part here. I, I do have one. I don't, I feel, I'm sorry. What do you got to do? <laughs> you know, and I gave away an Emmy Award once. It was for daytime Emmys, and I didn't know what to say to this crowd of soap op- opera actors and actresses and everybody. And I said, you know, see this thing? They say it's just as important to be nominated as it is to win. And I said, that's all bullshit. You and I know it. <laughs> I said, you know, what are you going to do in a home invasion robbery? You're going to pull this beautiful statue off the shelf that has a base on it that weighs a 100 pounds. You could smash somebody's head in, a home invading robbery guy, smash his head in like a cassava melon <laughs> or a piece of paper that says, this is as far as you're going. <laughs> it ain't just as important. <laughs> You could stick those wings, I mean, seriously, fork somebody, like Triton. They're very sharp. Like very, Neptune. I, I cut my Are they finger. the same, Triton and Neptune? I, I cut my finger. No, uh, it's uh, Nep- Neptune and, uh, and uh, Poseidon. Poseidon. Yeah. Okay, where did I get Triton? Oh, that's the spear. Uh, I... Uh, I, I did. I, I cut my hand on it when I got it. I was did so excited really? I went to grab it, and the wings are like knives, knife sharp. Oh, the peccadillos of the idle, yeah. rich, and famous. <laughs> you oh, don't understand. I Look, cut my finger. I'm late for work, and I'm sorry, but two koi in my pond died this morning. Do you know how much they cost a piece? I mean, it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. You know, you want to. I know that there's a lot of tragedy in the world, but we cannot get these things to breed. We've been trying everything we can. And then there'll be somebody going, you know, that would make a good show. <laughs> this Emmy is so shiny, it diverts so much attention from my face, and I don't know how to process it. It's like, can you outdo yourself? And the answer is yes, and it's a, it is a torturous place to exist. It's I've not bought, fun. I bought stingrays just to be different. They all died. They don't, they don't sting anything. They don't like It's chlorine. false advertising. It's false advertising. Where's my... 
Okay, I have an Emmy. Where's my... Rewards. Where's my reward? Where's my infomercial? Yeah. Well, you know, we're not going to be those people. No, we're not going to be those people at all. But I just don't know how you can have, like, a bunch of people that don't know what it feels like to have an idea, and on the other side of the table is a bunch of people who who know nothing else except to have an idea. How does that ever get together? Because, um, ultimately... Well, I want to be... uh, I want to align myself with the creative process by being in charge of it. Well, it's just that the creative people don't want to have to handle the responsibility. Like, they don't want to have to do that shit because... That's it's, true. It's an onerous task, and it's fun. It's not fun. So it's and a it symbiotic... Sucks. It is. It's a weird symbiotic thing because... I should just shut up now, then. Thank God for these people. <laughs> Thanks for hiring me. Except for me, when I figure out how to produce a Futurama miniseries for That's audio only... Up. Hey, BillyWestPodcast.com. Go there and and try to make a monkey out of me. You'll, Do it. You'll love it. Go you, ahead. Say you don't like it. You're lying. Do it. You fucking you love liars. it. You fucking love it. You monkey loving fuck. You fucking <laughs> love it. You just oh, love it. I bring the best out of you, don't I? Prick. Oh, you I, touch those monkeys bricks together. You so, touch those bricks together. It's the only way I can come. I love to have a comedic genius. You know, a guy who's like an intellectual breakdown into applesauce <laughs> before the end of his show. <laughs> What up? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Don't you think? No, Katie doesn't. She doesn't. She's clapping out of obligation, really, because she just wants it to stop. Uh, Enjoy your burrito, everyone. The end. That was awesome. Was it? Absolutely. Thank you, Billy West. Thank you. I love coming to see you. Would you sign our guest book? Yes, and I'll make an answering machine. Oh, I feel terrible asking that. Why? Because it's the most pedestrian thing you can ask. It's been off the air for how many years? It's over, Johnny. It's over, Johnny. Stand by for action. We're about to launch the Billy West Podcast. Special guest star Jim Gomez. Anything can happen in the next 40 minutes. Podcast! Podcast! Well, hello, everybody. It's the old prairie oyster here, Floyd Smoot and the All Day Hangovers. Take it away, Smoot. We're here in downtown Detroit. What's happened here's a shame. The city's dead, the river smells, and the building rot away. Now, this here is the star. The angriest guy in town. Two six packs in and a pint of rum. He can't tell night from day. Billy, you pawned my oxygen tank for the last time. I think my lung collapsed. Emigre? Emigre? Now you wish. You're riding with the Minutemen now, Beaner. What the heck is this? The Pledge of Allegiance? I'm an American. I have a right not to know squat. You want me to prove I'm an American? I hope this isn't a waste of jet fuel. That stuff is expensive. What kind of car could you drive here all the way from India? Wait for it. Wait for it. The Hindustan Ambassador. Well, I do have a collection of beagle skulls. All right. The president picks up the phone, but before he can answer it, he hears the vice president talking to someone. I told you never call me here. Uh, honey, the secret plan bongs away is engaged. Our agent is in. We'll see you in Mexico. One of the sous chefs mistaking the bag of weed for oregano empties it into a giant container marked oregano. 
cripes. Okay, you're on the air. Hello? Are you a person of means? Let's start there. No, I am not. Do you drive a car? Not at my age. So what do you do? Nothing much. Just me and my friends just sit around looking at each other all waiting to die. Listen up. I want you to meet the newest member of our little podcast family. A real man. Professor Finko. Okay, here's our first caller. Yeah, go ahead. You're on the podcast with Jairaj and Thinko. General Scheisentrauser debriefs the debriefed Billy. So let me get this straight. You say the dude looked like a lady? Never mind. Look, this isn't Operation Reach Around Secret Agent, Joy Boy. The vice president takes the group of Chinese investors on a tour. All right, gentlemen. Prepare yourself for the unfathomable, the gastronomical, big bionic bovinity, the cornerstone to my grand plan, meet CX-39000, Rousey, the genetically engineered, refried, bean-eating, mad cow. Okay, okay, you don't have any right to call in because you're terminated, and you, Jai Raj, you're the bedwetter. Shut up. Shut up! I had one little thing happen once, so shut up! Oh, yeah? What are you going to do now? I'm going to throw you right through that plate glass booth. Come on, you're going on a one-way trip. I love the sound of breaking glass in the morning. Think oh, think You ring. Get him out of here! He's gone berserk! No worries. Let's go, buddy boy. I'm here today. You know why? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have my way. I won and Billy West lost. It's my podcast now. Are you Billy West? No, I'm Jairaj. Access denied. Look, the Jairaj has announced that he was coming here to do an interview with Penn, so please open the door and let me get on with this. No, fuck off. What? Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. 